Anyway, are we recording? No. Okay, I'll no. wait. I'll just wait then. Yeah, let, we're gonna, let's sit here in <clears> silence <throat> for 20 minutes. That sounds good. Hmm. Just sit with your own thoughts for a moment. <laughs> try to try to gather yourself. <laughs> um, I take it you are recording then. Yes, and we probably should. Uh, <laughs> we probably should talk about the book. So I'm Christiane. And I am Greg. And this is the Bowie Book Club. We've had a book club for about 10 years. 10 years and counting. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those 10 years, we read a lot of books and sometimes we talked about them. Mostly we just got drunk and gossiped. But at the sad loss of David Bowie in 2016, we decided to get our act together and read through his list of 100 most influential books in no particular order. In fact, in a completely nonsensical order. And make wild speculation as we went. Each episode getting wilder and wilder. <laughs> We're going to have our own history book that can't be proved or disproved. <laughs> or maybe we should just start our own Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that I think there's a lot of money in that, in, in the whole making up your own reality sort of thing. Mm, yeah. It's a trendy thing these days. <laughs> yes, but I, I think um, the book that we read this time is actual history. Yeah, it's kind of like a pre-computer Wikipedia, though. Right, like yep. a long entry. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, the book we read this time is Before the Deluge, and I'm going to leave it to Christian to actually say the author's name. Uh, Otto Friedrich. Because I was going to massacre that. Really? I, I just can't do the Friedrich. Friedrich, Fried maybe? Yeah, I was going to go like Friedreich. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good that you got that out of the way. Portrait of Berlin in the 1920s. In the back. Um, so I got my copy at uh, the awesome Chaucer's Bookstore in uh, Santa Barbara. Yes. The great bookseller, Scott, who helped me out there. Um who also gifted us some uh, copies of Raw that we'll be using later this year. And, and apparently, like, they're really hard to find, like, yeah. paper copies of it. So we got really lucky on that. Super lucky. I'm, oh, I'm so excited to read that. But I was also really excited to read this. Yeah, so the back little description was a pretty good elevator summary. Um, vivid, haunting, paradoxical. Berlin was a world in itself, a prelude to the deluge that engulfed Europe and shook the world. This is a comprehensive, fascinating, historic portrait of the turbulent political, social, and cultural life and of the people who created and destroyed it. So it's really, it's this period, um, the fall of the uh, Kaiser, yep. 1918. Yep, the end of World War One, Which was a funny story that, like... That you can't say that World War One is a funny story. No. <laughs> The fall of the Kaiser, where he was like, someone was on vacation, they couldn't get a hold of him, and it was like, do we run it in the newspaper or not? He's out, right? He's out. No one's <laughs> confirming. And so they ran it, and then someone was like, no, this was not confirmed, but it was too late. And and, and they, the news made the actual history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so from that point up to um, the democratic election of... Um, Adolf Hitler. Which, which he m makes a point of saying it was completely illegal how crazy, this happened. Crazy, But uh, yeah, so super bunch of intense years there in Berlin. 
And I loved it because it filled in a whole bunch of history for me. Right, yeah. We In school, like the limited European history we had didn't go into this era in detail at all, except basically to, to say that things were crazy. There was massive inflation. You had to take a wheelbarrow of dollars to go buy bread or whatever. And that's that's really it. Yeah. My sister said she was working on this with her kids, like this time period. I was like, that's so good because I'm reading about it now at my age and feeling like I did not learn about what, I mean, it fills in a lot of gaps about how World War II kind of how the, yeah, started. Right, like the seeds were planted like right at the end of World War One. Yeah. And, and also like the massive influence that the art and and uh, and culture in this period in Berlin, how it it influenced you know everything we have now, you know Hollywood movies, wh- uh, what furniture looks like, what you mm-hmm. know what we consider design, it all kind of sprung from that time. Um, you know the the Dadaist movement, the Situationists, um, like a, a lot came from it. it was really fertile considering how how crazy the politics were. Um, and the you know the huge anti-Semitism, and, and that was and, just and, starting. Yeah, and the dire poverty. Yeah, but you're seeing the birth of the you know psychoanalysis yep. schools yeah. and um, experimental theoretical physics, and right. like, like tons is happening. And I I did like how uh, Friedrich framed the the political machinations. And then you'd kind of jump over to what's happening in the cabaret. Yeah, and, oh, this is what's going on in physics. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was told in, in almost kind of like an oral history way. It didn't go into really great depth about anything. Oh, but yeah. It jumped from person to person to person and kind of had them tell their stories, there, which, which I love. I love that style of history. Me too. There, Be- because it's shallow and I am a shallow person. But, yeah, <laughs> that works for me. I mean, you and your relationship with Wikipedia, this yeah, really fits I, right I in there. Wikipedia is going really deep for me. <laughs> if I go to Wikipedia, I, I, I think I'm getting a full full plate of knowledge. But it has that feeling as I was reading. I found this Kirkus Review article about this book that disliked it because it didn't go into enough depth for them. That there was this, um, they felt that the book itself was as reckless as berlin was at the time um which is it's it is a great reflection of how sort of chaotic yeah i thought that was a plus for it that it kind of mimicked that style of schizophrenia at the time um but but kirkus said it was mostly expatriates and immigrants and tourists who this author was talking to um it's like well there was a lot of expatriates at that time right right there was um there was the huge influx of russians because of the revolution there um which you know including like uh a number of really influential like film directors and artists and thinkers um but then there was the 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 sort of towards the end of the decade there was that the start of a long trickle of people leaving yeah including um friedrich's father I mm-hmm. believe who emigrated, maybe maybe not at that time, exactly, but but had to flee, um, and well, then let's... helped, I guess, Jewish um, scholars and and um, and and other people to to get to America. 
let's see, the math would be, I don't know. Okay, so Otto Friedrich had a couple siblings. I don't know where he sat in the birth order, but he himself was born in Boston in 1929, where his dad was teaching at Harvard. So, yeah, he he his dad was out before things got bad. Right. Yeah. In, in uh, Berlin, and and he and the author talks about going back to Berlin um, to visit cousins. I think later mm-hmm. on, and and there's a, a ni- it, the intro is a nice sort of chapter, also very anecdotal about you know um, how Berlin was in the 50s or 60s when he was there, um, as as a you know when he was in his 20s. And how it kind of the, 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 how the city had changed, but is still in a lot of ways the same. Yeah, and that he it kind of set him as an outsider insider. You know, his family yeah. is from here, but he isn't from here, and so that's where he's coming from while he's he's presenting this. There was a great little blurb in his obituary from the New York Times in 1995 called Otto Friedrich a prolific magazine writer and author who turned out sprightly journalism for Time Magazine by day <laughs> and a succession of elegant histories, biographies, and other works of nonfiction by night. Sprightly. Yes, sprightly <laughs> journalism. <laughs> sparkling, sparkling journalism. <laughs> I guess it's sprightly because it's, yeah, this this criticism that Kirkus had that it wasn't in-depth enough, yeah. that it was flitting around between art and politic, art and politic, um, which, again, is something I liked. Right. Um, and, and and it ended up that you ended up kind of digging into a couple of, of things that were mentioned here a lot Like further. one might with Wikipedia, yeah. follow <laughs> the links into the great rabbit hole of the Pedia. <laughs> that's, that's the way you judge a good book is like, what rabbit holes does it get you into? <laughs> yeah, I fell into a couple rabbit holes. We watched M., the the Fritz Fritz Lang movie yeah about starring the Peter Lorre crazy 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 <laughs> Peter Lorre <laughs> and which which is great that when you told me that you had watched it I, I realized that I had never I've, I've never seen the movie and I got you that book a couple years ago right yeah the great comic book based on the movie I, I'm I'm gonna forget the author John name. Muth yeah it's it's an amazing um, very painterly uh, comic book that you know tells the same story. With a little, uh, you know, a couple different twists on it. Yeah, he has a lot more. When I finally watched, again, these are things like Bertolt Brecht's Vag, um, Three Penny Opera. I also watched. And, yeah, yep. This is the first time I had seen it too. And, and Fritz Lang's M are things that just were around in my, you know, I'd, I'd bump into them in my other readings and kind of the, huh, I still haven't seen that right like the the only way that we know like mac the knife is from the bobby darren song or the mcdonald's commercial <laughs> who i found who we found out that guy who was the moonhead guy is the guy from uh, uh the shape of water, shape of water. yeah the, the the romantic hero of shape of water he is was also the moonhead moon guy <laughs> I, I don't want to i don't want to think about this too much but i bet there is um uh let's just say racy things on the internet featuring the Moonhead guy. There's got to be. Did you find these things, Greg, and you don't want to talk about it? I have not Googled it, and I'm not going to Google it, but I think a very safe speculation is that there is a a, a fetish for the Moonhead guy. Let's just leave that here. Okay, okay, let's let's move on. Just leave that. (laughs) I I can't go there. (laughs) The version of Mac the Knife in the movie is 
a lot creepier and cooler. And I had it stuck in my head for days afterwards. Yeah, it's so droney and weird. With the hurdy-gurdy. Yeah. Oh, the one I had stuck in my head for days was... um, uh, like, Pirate Jenny. Yeah, yeah, who's sung by Lottie Lenya, who yeah. has that crazy voice. Yeah. But yeah, I super recommend both of those films. And it was it was this book that made me finally... I, I was reading a description about Bertolt Brecht and how intense he was to work with. Right. And Kurt Weill, who, in Otto Friedrich's description, his music really stole the show. Like, Bertolt Brecht's play is great, but... What Kurt Vile did, yeah. yeah, was was what really made it the catchy thing it is. Um, and yeah, I, I was reading it and thought, okay, I'm I'm really missing out here. I I am I get what you're saying, but I have this big gap that I need to see it. So I watched it. I feel horrible now because you like you went into Brecht and learning all these things, and I thought about Moonhead porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, like I said, I'm a very shallow person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a um Otto Friedrich's book lists in the back, the sources and things. It's a great jumping off point for all the, the ways you can learn more about this period. This very short period that's super right, it was rich. so influential and and, and, and contributed Josephine so Baker much. And Marlene Dietrich and, and Oh, and there's this great anecdote about uh the great uh, dancer Pavlova, she's in a restaurant or a cabaret and everyone's staring at her and she's kind of sullenly sitting there. And finally she goes like, oh God, and gets up and does her dying swan routine and then goes and sits back down. Like, okay, And everyone's all it. fainty. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, whatever, I'll do the swan thing. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love those kind of anecdotes and the book, they're sprinkled throughout the book. While it's still keeping the sort of tone of like, we know what's coming next. And, and it kind of amps yeah. up the tension as the book goes on. There was a great piece about David Bowie, Iggy Pop in Berlin um, on this site, Byron's Muse. And there's a quote down at the bottom about Berlin um, and its similarities in the 1920s and the 1970s. And so it says, Carl Zuckerman, a German writer who lived in nineteen in 1920s Berlin, writes about this feeling that the arts blossomed like a field awaiting the harvest, hence the charm of the tragic genius that characterized the epoch and the works of many poets and artists that were cut off in their prime. I remember how Max Reinhardt once said, what I love is this taste of transience on the tongue. Every year might be the last year. And right, and the book does kind of get to that point where it's, it becomes very, ele- uh, I never pronounce this word right, elegaic? Elegaic? Elegaic, I think is ele- elegaic. Ele- you know, <laughs> you the listener are much smarter than us. So you like know what an elegy. Means. Yeah, it becomes like an elegy. <laughs> and Until it like almost at sort of like the, the penultimate part is talking about, you know, why did people vote Hitler into power? <laughs> and they're talking to a, a professor in New York, you know, a long time later. And the author asks him, you know, why did, you know, why did everyone vote for Hitler? And there's a, a long pause and he, he 
considers it in the very and he's a psychoanalyst psychoanalyst right. as yeah. well so he studies the mind and why people do things and he, he finally says after minutes of thinking about it i don't know yeah it was so yeah it was a heavy point when they're talking about this happened like this really happened yeah. there's a passage just before that in the chapter called heads will roll <laughs> where he says um a series of elections soon demonstrated that millions of Germans began to believe that Adolf Hitler, a semi-literate, incompetent, a failure in everything he had ever attempted, somehow had the skill and intelligence to solve all the nation's problems. One of the most willing believers in the Führer myth was, understandably enough, the nervous and uncertain Führer himself. When one of his supporters once told him in the course of an argument that he was mistaken, Hitler angrily answered, I cannot be mistaken. What I do and say is historical. And we'll leave comparisons as an exercise for the listener. Um, but he does also get some, some digs in at Hitler. I mean, yeah. he, he, That's uh, a dig. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he also tells a story about how Hitler was very upset about something, so he goes to a a bakery and eats three strawberry tarts in a row <laughs> and how he was in love with his niece oh, and sent God. these embarrassing like love letters to it. And the, and his people had her killed because it's she was a distraction. Right. And yeah. It's just it's like so fucked up. Nasty Pardon stuff me. going on. At yeah. This time. Yeah. And some of the interesting, so, so there's these beautiful things happening in the arts that you're seeing like, well, beautiful and also, you know, odd right, at right. times too. But this this fertile field, however, whatever that description was, this fertile field of the arts that is happening, and then these creepy things that are happening in the poli political world with that are kind of going on in the background almost, or, yeah. or at least in the way that the book describes them, like, Th this sort of niche thing that isn't part of the mainstream of of Berlin's life. Power keeps changing. There's a coup. There's an assassination. There's like it's... Hindenburg comes to power in his late seventies or early eighties, and he's described as being addicted to naps. He's like, I just want to take a nap. You guys go for it. <laughs> you guys go ahead with whatever you're doing. <laughs> but then there's also one of Kirkus reviews complaints was that there wasn't enough look at just the everyday people on the ground. Right, yeah. But there's a couple peaks at that. But it's mostly around inflation and food and, and, yeah. and having to eat turnip soup. Or being... Or turnip coffee. Really creepy, murdery people that chop up young boys and smoke right, them a, and put them in potted meat and sell them on the black market. Yeah, there's a really creepy chapter about <laughs> a serial killer in the late 20s. And a early. lot of them. Yeah, there was like, like the a spate of serial killers. <sighs> and I think he kind of draws like some sort of line between the rise of sort of the fascists mm -hmm. and the, the, the increase in serial killers and how like the fascists actually kind of use that as propaganda. Like you see what this decadence does, we're going to clean this up. When instead it was probably about poverty and starvation right. and this kind of weird survivalist, ugh. Right, yeah. But but you, you, do, you don't really get a sense of the perspective of, 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 of the ordinary person, um, mm -mm. Except, except here and there. You know, everyone 
that he talks to is someone who uh, has done something interesting or is, is going to do something interesting. And that's because those are the people that got out. Right, yeah. At the yeah. end, they do talk about when the shit hits the fan and the you know where things are going with the election of Hitler and all of a sudden he's setting out like, okay, kill the Jews, kill right. the queers, kill the gypsies, the gypsies, right. kill the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, you know where it's going. And then you, you hear about who gets out, you know, this famous person, this famous person, this famous person, the other people had no recourse right. They, to right. they didn't remove the... themselves. And, the, and and yeah, and in and, and the millions, they, they didn't survive. So yeah. there's so many like untold stories in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it ends, you know, on a really tragic note. Um, Leading of, into... As, of course it has to. Yeah. Um, but it is amazing that the wide range of the book. And, and, and like you said, it has so many jumping off points because that era was so influential. Um, and uh, actually, I think... And it's it's interesting how right now there's a lot of connections back to that era. There's a lot more talk about it. And there's a couple of things that you ran into just recently. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a TV series. I guess it's being made called Babylon Berlin based on a, a series of novels by, I apologize in advance, Volker Kuchner, Kush, Kuscher, Kutcher. Kutcher, yeah, that sounds good. Like, uh, like Ashton, Ashton Kutcher, oh. right? <laughs> okay, uh, no so problem. Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> Apologies to the author. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, a German bestseller, and now it's being made into a TV series, um, and it's sort of a police procedural, dark times of 1920s Berlin, all the kinds of stuff we were running into, the crime and. And miscreants and... Serial killers, boiling children. And then there was a book that came out a number of years ago called Look Who's Back. And it was also made into a TV movie or TV series. I think it was just a TV movie. Maybe on Netflix or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. And it was, again, a bestseller in Germany. um, And then it was translated, I think, in 2015... In English, and it's about Hitler waking up in the middle of Berlin in 2011 or 2014, something, sometime recently, and he, they make him a lot smarter, maybe, or or capable than what we read in Before the Deluge, (laughs) that he starts putting things together, like, oh, wait, something is wrong, something's up. I am in a different place. And then his rise to power again in contemporary Germany. Whoa. Yeah. Well, so I guess uh, the the question that we always ask ourselves. Why, Bowie? Might be a little easy to answer. <laughs> yeah, some of them are easier than others, aren't they? Yeah, this, this one in particular, <laughs> I think it's kind of a gimme. I mean, we know that David Bowie spent some time beloved time yeah very productive time in berlin making his best records or some of his best records imho yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't say it like that do you (laughs) in your humble opinion and mine as well which is probably a much longer acronym so he 
1976 to 1979. Yeah. He apparently moved to Berlin because he and Iggy Pop needed to clean up. Right. He needed to get away from his cocaine hell in L.A. Yeah. And it turned into a really productive time. There's some great pieces out there. Um, Photostrasse dot com. We have a link to that, and also I think a, the Guardian. Had yeah, the Guardian has a, a really good article about that. That's sort of walking through the places that Bowie was in the 1970s in Berlin. Um, so, so there's that connection, especially seeing that similar. There's this tension of the split town, Cold War. Um, and the richness of the artistic right, like he spent expressions a, a lot of time while he was in Berlin visiting, you know, the galleries and museums and seeing the expressionist art from from that time, and and really being floored by it and and making some beautiful paintings himself. I think one of the other of the articles links to some paintings that he made, you know, oh, very much in time. that style. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so he has a really deep, you know, love of and connection to the the culture. Um, he also was in um, a Bertolt Brecht play, Bale, one of Bertolt Brecht's early works. He wrote it in 1918, um, so the beginning of our book. Uh, but then he reworked it in the 20s. But David Bowie performed in Alan Clark's production in 1982 of bail and he also does a terrible version of whiskey bar <laughs> so his his Bertolt Brecht uh interest is there yeah and um we also found out that Otto Friedrich's uh one of his other books he wrote biographies of Glenn Gould and he wrote another book about 1940s Hollywood and which, which I'm really excited to read uh, City of Nets I think it's called yeah is that tr- yeah and he also wrote a book, by uh, autobiographical book called Going Crazy, which is about his family history of schizophrenia, which might have been of interest to David Bowie as well, since he was dealing with that in his own family right, history. Right, so this might have been kind of he found out about that book first and then I don't know, let's on. speculate. I want to say he learned about it first because of Berlin. Okay, yeah, yeah, it could be. Because this one was published, please hold, uh, 1963. Okay, yeah, so um, pretty early on. Yeah, so I can imagine that he that got right? the book. Nope, that's wrong. What? what the? 1972. Okay, yeah, but still still before Bowie went to Berlin. So yeah. that might have been one of the reasons he went and, and could also be, you know, where he discovered he used it the same way we did, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to check this artist mm-hmm. out. Or I'm going to go look look for this. I'm going to this place. Yeah, because uh, Otto Friedrich talks about one of the next books uh, later on in this year. Um, so it's, he David Bowie lists it as Mr. Someone Gets Off a Train. What's it? What's it called? Oh, shoot. It's a Christopher Isherwood right, book. Right, right. And, and they had, it had an original title, but it's now listed as Berlin Stories. And it's part of the, the storyline that inspired the show Cabaret. And so it's Mr. Norris boards Mr. a train right. or gets yeah. off a train or something. We'll get, we'll, get the, we'll get the name right in the show notes. But, <laughs> but after, after hearing 
uh, Isherwood's parts of this book. I'm really excited to read that. Yeah, it's, so I want to. I wonder, like, did Bowie read Isherwood because he read about it in Otto Friedrich, or did you know how all the cycles the, the connects? Yeah, you start seeing all the pieces bump into each other. Right. Yeah, and and all I um, all I knew of Berlin during this time was you know, what I knew from Cabaret, that everyone looked like Liza Minnelli or Joel Grey. And Everybody. <laughs> and, and they were constantly singing and no one wore pants or whatever. <laughs> Those were great sections in Before the Deluge when he talks to Christopher Isherwood about Cabaret. And he says, like, no, I've never seen it. But but he's like, it's the goose that lays the golden egg. Yeah. So you, you can't be too mad. <laughs> it pays me money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm I'm, I'm betting that the, the stories are very different than Cabaret. Um, maybe having some of the, you know, some of the the, the pieces of it. But. We'll find out later this year. Yep, yep, and I'm very excited about that. So, what song did we pick? Uh, I guess it's my turn to to butcher the pronunciation. Uh, that's why I pointed to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, new Koln, uh, one of the instrumentals from uh, Heroes, the second side of Heroes. It's very Eno esque. Um, it features a, 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 a very honky, sorry, that's not the right word, a very uh, blustery sax solo from, from Bowie himself. Nicholas Pegg in our big reference book, The Complete David Bowie, talks about Newcomb as one of the bleaker instrumental soundscapes on Heroes. And that that, that uh, honky saxophone that you're talking about... <laughs> Was um, So David Bowie says, Nukon is an area in Berlin which is primarily Turkish, and I had to work out a way of putting a Turkish modal thing into it. So the plaintive squalls of the saxophone. And our, our other favorite Bowie uh, reference, uh, the website uh, Pushing Ahead of the Dame, um, has a, a great article about the song. Mm-hmm. Um, about the whole al- album. He yeah, yeah, yep. And, and also... Um, uh, the article on Where Are We Now, which is a Bowie song that, that references uh, a lot of our, um, a lot of places in Berlin. Um, there's a great a great piece on Pushing the Head of the Dame about that, too. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely link to that. They're, they're both really worth reading. Apparently, Neukölln is one of the trendiest a- neighborhoods in Berlin now. But back then, it was Bowie's favorite for... Not those reasons, because it wasn't trendy. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. But, but it's 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 a beautiful song and and has a a nice sort of watery feel. I'm not sure how we can connect it to history, except it also before the deluge, a deluge. It's like a flood. Wow, perfect. Watery. Uh, there you go. Done. Man, you, you saved my bacon. <laughs> I, I was floundering there. <laughs> Flounder, oh, water, okay. get oh, okay, okay. That's that's enough. <laughs> So what are what are we reading next? Um, a really really big book. <laughs> oh, oh, I already Earth, started it. Earthly Powers by Anthony Burgess, and it is catty. It's our second Burgess. Yeah, yeah. Clockwork Orange. We did. Uh, well, that was our first episode that was the ever. First yeah. ever. Wow. Yeah. And and we're coming back to Burgess, and he is at his cattiest. Oh, it's it's a really fun read so far. And we're also uh, keeping up with uh, conversations that are going on in Twitter and Facebook about uh, Fire the Next Time by James Baldwin, which was um, the pick for 
the sort of Twitter Bowie Book Club. The, the hashtag that, Bowie Book Club. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, David Bowie's son, Duncan yeah. Jones. And, and we'll link to uh, our episode about it, which we recorded last August. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll make sure to put that up on Twitter so you guys can give it a listen. And we'll do a little check-in midway through next month when people have some conversation that we can report about. Yeah, it was really fun seeing what people had to say about Hawksmoor. Yeah. Um, and, and still, like, there's still people popping up with different theories. Because it took people a long time to get that book. (laughs) Some people are are just receiving it now, unlike me, who still hasn't gotten my copy. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we can always be found at BowieBookClub.com and at Twitter at BowieBookPod. On Facebook at BowieBookClubPodcast. And Instagram at BowieBookClub. And we have a special message for you. You. We're actually looking at you. We want you to... uh, Look behind you. Ah! Oh, you, the listener, look behind you. We're right there. (laughs) We want you to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let us know what you think um, and keep talking to us on the Twitters. Um, We always like hearing from you and we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. doing that <laughs> <laughs> i'm genuinely frightened there was a laurie anderson song i used to listen to at night in my room in high school and she says at the very end of it don't look now i'm right behind you and even as someone with, with, with as beautiful of a, of a voice as she has that's still terrifying yep <laughs> <laughs>